0: Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Waltrip here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm leaning right, and I'm
2: former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the senator,
1: powered by PaceMatic. Thank goodness we have this poster behind us, so we can never forget what we are. What studio are we in today? You know, we're sitting high atop the Stanley Law Group skyscraper, overlooking beautiful downtown Richmond, the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia. We're in the Stanley Law Group studios. Still waiting for new sponsorship, but, you know, our listener uh, base is growing and growing exponentially. We're getting a lot of people who are showing interest here in, uh, in sponsoring this studio. So I think it's only a matter of days before we, uh, we won't But call until
2: then, you're going to get that Stanley Law Group mentioned in as much as possible.
1: Great civil trial attorneys, criminal defense attorneys, 540-721-6028. Give me a call.
2: I can do it all. Today is a special show for a number of reasons. For the first time in the history of leaning right and turning left, we're actually taking the show on the road. We are. We are. And we're
1: using your skills as a pit reporter to get that in-depth interview. And and I couldn't be there, so you had to handle that all yourself. How'd you do? Going uh,
2: on the road to Virginia Beach, Virginia, to the beautiful home of the 67th governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, George Allen, he's our special guest today. That's amazing. Uh, one of the best governors the Commonwealth of Virginia has
1: ever had. A great American, United States, former United States senator, son of a, one of the greatest football coaches that the Washington Redskins has ever had. A man that believes in liberty and justice and freedom. Every, all principles that this country was founded upon. He lives every day. And he's always lived that way. He's such an inspiration. Has been that way for me. I wish I could have been there, but I was working here in the General Assembly late into the evening. I couldn't do it with you, uh, but uh, it sounds like a really, really good interview. I can't I tell wait. you they.
2: Uh, he and his wife, Susan, opened up their home to. It was about ten of us between myself and our crew and everybody that was there, and she fed us dinner, had the best ham rolls. Some kind of a poppy seed, Hawaiian ham roll. I ate a hundred of them. <laughs> I could tell. A bowl of chili. and But we really, you know, that's one thing. We have a lot in common, I think, Bill. But uh, our respect, friendship and respect for George Allen is very high on, on both of our ends.
1: Absolutely. And I think you've got a man crush there. I why do. Don't you, why don't you just admit it? I do. And, and I, I do. think you're a little sweet on his wife, too. I, I had No question. Yeah. I think you told me that a while
2: ago. I'm not bashful about it.
1: No. And she's a wonderful, beautiful lady. Been great friends. And a friend. wonderful first lady she was. Yep. And and certainly uh, the Allen family is, has made such a difference in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, every word that he says he means, I can hang on every word because I know I'm going to learn something. And he's going to reinvigorate me or anybody else who will listen to him about what's right about our country, not what's wrong about the state the state that we're in right now. You know, a lot of divisiveness out in the world, but if we all kind of had that attitude that that George Allen has, I think we'd all be a little tighter, a little closer, and a little better.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about politics obviously. He was really out front and center on the political trail with Glenn Youngkin, Jason Meares, and Winston Sears this past November. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what life is like today for George Allen and Susan, Dan in Virginia Beach, and all the things he's involved in. Obviously, we're going to talk about football, he being the son of Legendary NFL coach, George Allen. And we're going to talk about racing. He is a big-time racing fan. Has been, obviously, the first time I met him was at Richmond International Raceway in 1993 when we unveiled the Virginia's for Lovers car. um, First time meeting him. But before we get to the interview, Bill, the name of the show, Leaning Right and Turning Left, and we want you to give us a leaning right moment. Obviously, Super Bowl coming up this weekend. You're right smack in the middle of General Assembly session. That's right. The budget comes out tomorrow. It does. And you've got a lot of things going on. So give us your leaning right moment. What's going on now here in the General Assembly?
1: A little bit of the setup. Uh, Hermie, you came up with this idea that we should use whatever is, is topical in the news that that pertains to what we do. Leaning right would be something with regard to Virginia politics. Turning left has something to do with NASCAR mm-hmm. or stock car racing or any kind of racing. And so what we'll do is I just want to tell you a couple of things that that I see happening here in the General Assembly. And we'll talk about them. What we've seen here in the Commonwealth of Virginia lately has been when Governor Yunkin came in, he signed an executive order that basically said that our schools, our public schools could not mandate mask wearing, that it was an option that was reserved for our parents to make because we've been enforcing this mask mandate. You know, the thing they said would never happen during the pandemic. We're now two years later into the pandemic. And quite frankly, um, you know, my kids go to school wearing a mask and, and, and it has, you know, it has had an effect on them. Uh, I, I've spoken to a lot of parents who have had um, their children who have special needs, and they've said it's been in some cases devastating to their learning that it's had and caused setbacks in their learning. And so Governor Youngkin came in here and said, Listen, our public schools, we're not going to have mask mandates. It's going to be optional, just like I said, for the parents. So what did some of these school systems do? They sued the governor. Fairfax and uh, and up in Arlington, they had a court case. And in Fairfax, Arlington, uh, actually, a judge ruled that the governor's order was illegal because of SB 1303. And therefore, because I think the court misread SB 1303, you're you're used to that. We have these... Courts that, that, or we have the legislature that writes something one way, interpreted the wrong way, or maybe even the right way. In this instance, 1303 said that we would follow the CDC guidelines. Chap Peterson and, and Senator Shabon Donovan, a great senator, two great senators, uh, drafted that. There's no CDC guideline right now that says that you have to wear masks. It's mandated in school. But these schools have interpreted that that's where they get the authority of the mask mandate. The circuit court ruled that the mask mandate had to go back in place. And, and these large school systems up in northern Virginia cheered and, and, and did a victory dance and, and uh, were so happy that now these kids were going back to wearing masks, which, quite frankly, Hermie, I think is the government forcing you to do something, conforming your speech, conforming and impinging upon your constitutional rights. You've been fighting that fight. I've been fighting that fight right alongside you as we've fought for skill games. Well, here they're doing it with masks. So then the Supreme Court ruled just ruled that 1303 SB 1303 does not say that it does not make a mask mandate and dismissed a lawsuit filed by by uh, parents when they sued Governor Youngkin so what we have is Chat Peterson actually one of the authors of 13 uh, uh, this this bill uh, basically uh, came out with a letter and I think it was very courageous he's a Democrat from Fairfax City he's a practical guy man he fights for the little guy he's a lawyer and I just want to read you part of what he what he wrote, because I think it not only was courageous, it's certainly, you might say it's leaning right, but I think it's leaning the right way, Mm and especially for parents. He wrote a letter saying that Fairfax should stop the mandate right now, the mask mandate. And he concluded, and let me read this because it's so important. Chap wrote, for the past two years, we have seen the lives of our children disrupted and destroyed by a pandemic that posed little or no threat to them physically. Too many decisions involving children have been dictated by political expediency. As a parent, I've had enough. In 2021, the General Assembly solved the issue of school closures by ordering schools to reopen for in-room, in-person learning five days a week via the passage of SB 1303. We stepped in because the school districts were failing to do the right thing for their children. This is not just my opinion. It's reflected in the fact that Virginia public schools, such as Fairfax County Public School System, had a record of less enrollment in 2021, which has continued for two straight years into the current year. Something is not right. In the coming days, I will ask the governor to either send down special legislation or amend existing legislation to end the forced masking of children. We will pass this with a bipartisan majority, and this sad episode will finally end. Now, quite frankly, this is a courageous step by a statesman, legislator, my friend, Chap Peterson, who goes against the woke crowd, who goes against those people that are trying to force decision-making from the government level level onto the parents, to remove the primacy of a parent that has, as the late Ben Chavin said... The ability to determine the fate of their jewels, their most prized possessions, even their most prized elements of life. The government has been dictating it through this mask mandate. We have, it has demonstrated that masks have not stopped this pandemic, whatever variant, the Omicron, people still got it. If you look actually in the General Assembly right now, Hermie, we've had some cases of the Omicron variant. We are in cages, plastic cages in the Senate. Republicans, we, don't, we believe that the masks are useless. We're considerate of our Democrat friends. If they come up, we put the mask on for them. But actually, more Democrats have gotten the Omicron variant than Republicans have by a large number. We've shown that over in these two years, the, the six-foot separation didn't work. The shutting down our economy didn't work. These masks don't work, and especially for our children, what it has is a negative effect. And I want to commend my friend, Senator Chet Pearson, for standing in the breach for standing up for what's right and not just standing for what your political party says is right, whether it's Republican
2: or Democrat. That's my leaning right moment. I've always thought a lot of chap. He, um, he's been supportive, actually, of what you and I have been fighting for, not because he may have one side or the other, but he believes what you believe is that if you feel that your government or something is treating you unfairly, you should stand up. Yeah. In fight. And he has applauded me several times in private and by phone calls and text messages and things of that nature uh, to do that. So congratulations and kudos to Chap Peterson for taking that stand.
1: And let me tell you something. Uh, back when I lived in Northern Virginia, when I started my legal career, Chap was running for the city council in Fairfax City. And they didn't run by party. I had a Chap Peterson sign in my yard. And I proudly had it. And uh, my homeowners association said I had to take it down. And that only made me indignant, rebellious. And Dagnabbit, I kept that orange sign right in there, uh, and Chap won a seat on the city council. He's been a thoughtful legislator, not always bound by party, but principle. Mm-hmm. You don't have that as much in today's General Assembly or even in Congress. And we need more of it. We need more Chaps. But, you know, there are going to be people in the woke crowd that are going to bully Chap. How dare you say this? This is totally wrong. And they're going to try to intimidate him. Chap cannot be intimidated because when he knows he's right, he's right. And... Just to mention what you're talking about, when the pandemic hit and the governor, Governor Northam, shut everything down with Executive Order 5253, I sued the governor uh, on behalf of Gold's Gym. We tried to get the gyms back open because, you know, if you're in a pandemic, you want to stay healthy, the gym was the way to go. But they had a belief that it would be a super spreader. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, these, these unfortunately sometimes hypocritical beliefs that they had, that it was for thee but not for me. Turned out to be false. I mean, we've seen people go into the Virginia Tech Stadium, 76,000 strong or more, and there was no super sprayer event. But we shut down Gold's Gym unnecessarily. CHAP took up the mantle to try to get our schools back open. Uh, Again, as lawyers, we have that ability, but we're standing up for the very government that we work for because I think ultimately CHAP and myself and others, we don't trust the government. What we see, and as you've seen, there's a lot of government overreach. When the government tries to tell you what to do rather than letting you live your right Uh, living your life the right way that you choose to do it. And that's what liberty and freedom is all about. And that's what George Allen stands for. And I think George is going to have a very powerful
2: message when it comes to these issues. Common sense. When I think about Chad Peterson and when I think about George Allen, regardless of party affiliation, I think about common sense Yeah. and I appreciate both of them. Now my turning left moment, I want to just take a few moments before we pitch to the, uh, is this turning
1: left moment brought by brought to you by
2: it's not brought To you by anybody yet We should have sponsorships for these If you're interested in sponsoring The leaning right moment Or the turning left moment Or sponsoring potentially The Stanley Law Group Studios You can visit Podcastheat.com and It'll tell you how to get in touch with us and sponsor this Wonderful, record-setting Groundbreaking podcast
1: Or you can reach out to you and me Personally at SadlerStanleyRacing
2: com. That'd be great. Learn sure. more about the podcast, learn more about Sadler Stanley Racing, the Smart Modified Tour, but on my turning left moment, I wanted just to take a few minutes and talk about this past weekend the Clash. Mm. I'm so used to saying the Clash at Daytona, but this year the Clash was at the Los Angeles LA Coliseum Yeah, in a, on a makeshift racetrack, a short track about the size of Bowman Gray in Winston-Salem, and I was expecting not a great show, but I was pleasantly surprised. My hat's off to NASCAR, the competitors, the teams, my old friends and former colleagues at Fox Sports for pulling that off. It was a great day of racing, in my opinion. It was beautiful. I mean, what a, what
1: a beautiful backdrop and setting. And, you know, I was worried that maybe when they put down the asphalt that it'd come up a little bit, but they seemed to prime that track perfectly. I like that it, there was no real straightaway. It was just kind of a long oval, mm-hmm. and what I really liked was how they treated it, which was heat racing, just like we do on the short tracks in yep. the rural areas. That the, those rural short tracks that we love so much to get into the final, into the final race. Yeah, the heat them.
2: races, last chance qualifiers, everything in between. What what NASCAR and Fox was really trying to do against them, you know. People, some people just thought it was the craziest thing. They were trying to reach a new fan base trying to reach casual fans and get them hooked mm-hmm. prior to the season starting uh, in Daytona over the next couple weeks. So I thought they checked all the boxes on what they were trying to do. I thought the show was great. I thought the way they ran it, uh, getting cars off and on the track for the heat races. Uh, I thought there was a, a, a good amount of bumping runs and spinning yeah. people out, but it wasn't that one last chance race, Ty Dillon, that that last got a last hand, that was maybe. great. But that's what you want drivers to do yeah. is lay it on the line and and run over who may be in your way to yep. get to uh, the main event. So I enjoyed it, but now we turn more to uh, what we're used to seeing at the beginning of the NASCAR season, and that is uh, cars, the new next gen car on the high banks of Daytona. We'll get to see that starting next weekend. What do you think of the next gen car? Um, the jury's still out on that for me. Uh, the, I will say the car turned better on a short radius corner than I thought it would given some of the characteristics of the car, um, front ends of the cars. And, but I was really concerned about them not turning very well, but I thought they turned really good. All things considered, I still have some concerns about the safety of the cars, uh, and the way they're built. I know NASCAR knows way more about that than I do, but, uh, the jury's still going to be out. But I will say that the clash at the L.A. Coliseum calms some of my concerns about the performance of the car uh, and those kind of things. But I'm still – we, we're yet to see how the car is going to react with an impact at a place like Daytona right. versus the L.A. Coliseum. But kudos to NASCAR, Fox, the fans, the teams, everybody that pulled that off. I thought it was a great great day of racing, great weekend. Of racing and and really set up NASCAR with a lot of momentum heading into Daytona.
1: And, I, you know, what I really like to watch were the the fans. The number of people that filled up that Coliseum. I mean, I haven't seen that much fan participation on the track, regardless of the pandemic, in quite some time. So let's hope that that's what it's really bringing back as well.
2: And I don't know how they track all that, but well over 50% of the people that came to the race, it was their first ever NASCAR race. Fantastic. What an iconic
1: building to do it in. So... I That's mean, you've not, had Olympics, you've had pro football yeah. in there, you've had baseball in there and now racing. You think they keep the track down there? Or do they take it up? and then? It's already being it? taken up. Really?
2: Yeah, they already. I've already seen pictures. That did, In fact, that night, they'd already started to disassemble the whole track and tear it up. That can't be cheap. Cannot be cheap. I mean, why
1: wouldn't they put just something over it?
2: But, okay. you you know, being a, a politician and a better than average attorney, <laughs> you get what you pay for, right? You Good things do. cannot be cheap sometimes.
1: No, no but I mean, just all that effort, it's just kind of like, you know, at Bristol, they put down all that dirt. It was a chance. And then they pull it all up. It was
2: a chance. And I think in this case, uh, I was less thrilled with the dirt race at Bristol. Yeah. And I was with this experiment at the L.A. Coliseum. I thought all things, uh, all things considered, it was great. And we'll see what happens at Daytona. So you ready to send the show to Virginia Beach? I am. And I'm,
1: I'm again, uh, jealous. I'm jelly, as my kids would say. I'm a little sus. That would be suspicious. I'm learning all these new phrases. The good news
2: is you now get to listen to my conversation with George Allen for the first time on this podcast, just like our viewers and our listeners. And without
1: me interjecting stupid jokes to try and make you laugh.
2: I did ask a couple of stupid questions on your behalf. Uh, The ones I wrote down for you? The ones you wrote down for me. So you'll be interested to hear Governor Allen's responses to your questions. Did you ask him
1: the question that I asked you to ask him, which was, who was his favorite Virginia State senator?
2: I passed over that one. Really? But I asked him the one about his thoughts on the new name of the Washington football team.
1: And I bet you got a great response.
2: I got you. about a 20-minute dialogue. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Passionate dialogue. This is going to be all great. your fault.
1: Yeah, well, uh, well, sometimes I can't be there, but I can still uh, make it entertaining. But uh, this is great.
2: I want to remind everybody that leaning right and turning left is powered by Paysomatic. PaySomatic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Let's go now to Virginia Beach, Virginia, and Governor George Allen. Take it away.
0: And I'm the last number, 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, folks, this is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new
2: podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers and we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace well, hi, I'm Hermie Sadler. This is another episode of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Tonight, I'm on location for the first time. We've moved the show on the road, and what a special night this is for me personally. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun tonight. Been waiting for this one a long time. My guest is the 67th governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, George Allen. Governor.
3: Good to have you here, Hermie. Welcome. (laughs) We call our place here, Susan and I, we call it the Oasis. So you have friends in low places. The elevation's about 11 feet. 11 feet. 11 feet, so it's low places.
2: I'm uh, Senator Stanley, is in session uh, back in Richmond, dealing with the, uh, the business of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So, um... We, uh, we're on location. First of all, thank you, uh, to you and your beautiful wife, Susan, for opening up our home. We've got, you got to admit, we got a professional crew. This is a heck of a crew. Some have flown in all the way from Atlanta, Atlanta. Atlanta. We got people from Atlanta, Kentucky. I brought one bum for me, shut them off from South Hill. That's uh, so we got the whole, we got the, got it all covered. The best of America, the best of America. I love it. So we want to cover a lot of, uh, ground, uh, tonight, uh, on the podcast, um, We'll cover some football, we'll talk about some NASCAR racing, we'll certainly talk about some politics and everything in between. Uh, But I want to start out with, obviously, you're known uh, for your time as governor, time in the Senate, Uh, but to start with, tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what life is like today uh, for for George Allen and and Susan, and what occupies your time now?
3: Well, we're really happy. We moved down to Virginia Beach uh, from Northern Virginia in 2019. Mm -hmm. And the taxes are about 15% less here. Gasoline that you care about is about 15 to 20 cents a gallon less. Insurance is much less. Uh, there's a lot of freedom-loving people here, good weather, and there's a beach. And so we love being here. I'm on uh, the board of Armada Hoffler, a uh, publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. I also am Reagan Ranch, Presidential Scholar for the Young Americas Foundation, uh, and that entails the Young America's Foundations focused on young people, folks in high school and college, to make sure they know about Ronald Reagan and those principles of free people and free enterprise and positive, constructive ideas. I'm also on the Board of Governors of the Reagan Ranch, which preserves the Reagan Ranch. It's like a presidential home. And you'd learn a lot from George Washington, by going to Mount Vernon. The same about Ronald Reagan if you go to the the ranch where he spent so much time even as president uh, there, where he signed the largest tax cut in history. I even got an acorn from that tree and have it growing in our yard here. It's grown up to about three feet. We'll see if it makes it through the weather here of Virginia compared to Santa Barbara, California. I also am uh, helping out some uh, tribal 8As mm-hmm. Uh, working with some uh, artificial intelligence people, technology uh, companies as well, and giving speeches generally on the competition between the states mm-hmm. and what states need to do to win, to make sure there's more jobs and more opportunities and growth for the people.
2: And you have a list of honeydews, I'm assuming, from Susan to take care of around the house, or how's that work? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Susan's a COO of our place, chief operating officer. There you go. And so you uh, obviously grew up, some people may know more about your story than others, but grew up the son of a legendary football coach. So I'm curious, how did growing up in that environment with a football coach and all the things that go into being a football coach, how did growing up in that environment with your dad and your brother and your family, how did it really shape? Um, your early life and how it ultimately led you to getting into politics? Huh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, it, every, everybody. Uh, I look like I've never done this before. Don't but you, I know you've done it before. Usually I'm talking to Kyle Bush about why he spun in turn one, but – that's Same fine. Thing. As long as he's spun, then the that's fans right. cheer.
3: Any time. Right. It's like when Jeff Gordon would wreck. Right. I was one of those who cheered. I was,
2: Dale Earnhardt always told me as long as they're cheering or booing, you're good. When they say yeah. nothing, that's when you got a problem.
3: Well, I, Dale, Dale Earnhardt was one of my very favorites, mm-hmm. and King Richard yep, yep. as well. So, at any rate, back to what you did. Anybody, any of your viewers uh, here, whatever you've done in your life, uh, your growing up experiences have an influence over you. My father uh, was a scout and a coach for the Bears. That's when I first remembered anything that he ever did, and uh, he's with. The, and we'd, every Christmas time, he'd always be. We'd always be on the road to bowl games and signing players, and we knew where the best fireworks were to buy at Nickajack's Landing near Chattanooga, mm-hmm. and we'd be in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl or Florida for the bowl games down there, and with those trips and the Ford Country Squire. You'd actually learn about history, and my father would say, here's some historic site or here's some Indian mounds, let's go uh, look at those, and uh, quizzing us constantly and listening to Johnny Cash and Roger Miller on the radio stations in those days, and uh, all of that was, was good experiences as, as a kid. Uh, the other thing that I learned, and some of this you don't realize until later, is looking back on the teams and the players on my father's teams. And my father would take me to training camp uh, as a kid. And, in fact, the first people ever gave me chewing tobacco were these guys like Doug Atkins and Bill George and all these guys who just thought it was great here, put, put a chaw in and yeah. watch me nearly you know, vomit and all that. So, But th- those were just great people to grow up with. And, and and looking back on it, the, the players that I played with when I played football and rugby um, and his teams, they were from all over, different races, different religions, different ethnicities. So, you know, some were from Tennessee, some were from Texas, some were from Pennsylvania, California, all over. Uh, regardless of their background, that didn't matter. All that mattered is could they help the team win? Could they kick, punt, catch, block, mm-hmm. tackle? And it was a, it's a meritocracy where everyone, regardless of their background on a level playing field, has an equal opportunity to compete and succeed. And that, to me, is what we should have in our society where everyone, regardless of their background, their gender, their ethnicity, their religion, their race, has that equal opportunity in America. That's the promise of the American dream, and that's why I think people like sports. Because there's, it's, you know, there's not equal results, but there's equal opportunity. opportunity yeah. And that's what you want in a free enterprise system. That's what you want in a society. And whether it's freedom of religion, freedom of expression, private ownership of property, the rule of law, where our God-given rights are protected and you have fair adjudication of disputes, that's what makes America great in a free and just society. The other thing I learned from sports is that... Um, in practices, we'd have three a day practices at UVA, and it's just to survive them with something. But no matter what you do, nothing. I'd all say this isn't as bad as three a day practices right. in the middle of August. You know, it's sweating, and uh, and when I was putting together my cabinet as governor, I wanted people in each area, whether it's transportation, economic development. Uh, health and human resources, whatever. I wanted them to be smarter, or more knowledgeable than I was. They knew what we needed to do. We needed to keep the promises for the, the truth and sentencing, welfare reform, high academic standards and accountability in schools, all of that. They knew what we needed to do, but I wanted people who knew more than I did. And that was something I learned from my father who would say, I don't wanna to have to spend time coaching the coaches. And he had great assistant coaches, through where these were the Rams, the Redskins, wherever. And uh, I had a great cabinet when I was governor that helped us achieve those promises to improve uh, opportunities and make Virginia a better place to live,
2: learn, work, and to raise our families. You were born in California? Yeah. You don't have a choice of where you're born. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but tell the people, some of our viewers on YouTube and listeners on the podcast, I guess ultimately... You're moving with your dad as a oh, coach. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. yeah, here. You ended up in the governor's mansion from in California. Virginia. So yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, my parents were married in Sioux City, Iowa. My mother's uh, from North Africa, Tunisia, mm-hmm. and came uh, after World War II. Came to of all places Sioux City, Iowa, and met my father, whose first head coaching job was at Morningside College, and uh, they got married there. And the, the, during the gestation period. He got a job at Whittier College, and he's coaching at Whittier. The name of their team was The Poets. You can't think of a less fierce name Mm -hmm. for a team, you know, The Fighting Poets. We're going to kill you with rhyme, you know, and so forth. Uh, So he was there. Then he was with the Rams for one year, got fired there. The first job I remember him having was selling golf clubs and working at a car wash. Which I thought was great. This is in 1957 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the car wash was just great. It just uh, all the chrome on cars in okay. those days. And then he gets a job as a scout and a coach and, and defensive coach with the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. It's where I got into racing, liking racing. They, their their training camp was at Rensselaer, Indiana, St. Joseph's College. I'm in the middle of cornfields, but there's a quarry there you could jump in every now and then. And then there was a dirt racetrack. Mm-hmm. And the first driver to turn the car over all the way would get $5. I just thought that was just <laughs> great as a kid. It's hard earned money. So then he gets, we're down in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl, and he gets an offer. Uh, it was New Year's Eve, 1965-66. Uh, and he got a job to be head coach of the Rams. So we moved out to California mm-hmm. and went to high school there. And that's what got me involved in politics more than anything else. In 1966, my father's coach in the Rams, his first year. And there was a fellow named Ronald Reagan who was running for governor. Mm-hmm. And he came to a Rams practice, and he's shoulder to shoulder with my father, asking him questions about the drills and uh, players, and so forth. And I said, you know, you see politicians, uh, they want 50-yard line seats. But I said, here's a politician at a practice, and he knows what's really important, football. Mm-hmm. So as a high school kid, I followed, and Ronald Reagan won. And so I followed what he did as as governor and liked it. So we, I, when my father came to the Redskins, that's when I got to Virginia, mm-hmm. went to the University of Virginia. And uh, I thought I'd want to get into ranching, or architecture or law. There was too much math to architecture. I buckarooed on ranches out west in Nevada Mm -hmm. and Idaho and learned a lot about ranching. And I realized beating cattle up and down the desert, and we had 3,800 head of cattle to take care of in Nevada. But I realized the only way you make money in agriculture and ranching is with a lot of volume, a lot of cattle, a lot of land that takes a lot of money that I didn't have. So I started paying more attention to law school. And... But Reagan, when he was running for president in 1976, asked me to head up Young Virginians for Reagan. And he was running against Gerald Ford, the it had incumbent. To be, it had to be quite an honor. I, that's exactly what I said. I said, well, the governor, this is a great honor, but I know nothing <laughs> about organized politics. Yeah. I wasn't in the college Republicans. I said, I like debating. I like arguing with people. I like telling people what a great job you did as governor and, and your ideas are great for America's future. And he said, "Well, just keep doing that." Yeah. And we got—I got involved. We won Virginia, lost the nomination, mm-hmm. but Reagan won Virginia, and that's what got me involved in politics. And those folks who were for Reagan, years later, inveigled and encouraged me to to run for for the House of Delegates, mm-hmm. and I lost. Yep. I learned from it mm-hmm. and ran again and, and did win ultimately a few years later.
2: I know you remember this—the first time I remember actually meeting. You and Susan was at the racetrack at Richmond, Virginia on the day that we announced the Virginia Tourism Corporation sponsorship, first ever sponsorship of any of that kind to begin my rookie year in 1993. Huh. We won Rookie of the Year that year actually driving the Virginia is for Lovers Oldsmobile. It was and in you, you all, the viewers can't
3: see it, but we got it on a poster on the wall here.
2: That's right. I remember seeing y'all at the racetrack that day. Oh, Pat McMahon that was in charge of tourism back in those days, great guy. And talk about a thrill for me, not only meeting you as the governor and, and Susan at the time, but as a lifelong Virginian, I get to go around and drive a race car all across the country and promote what's good about Virginia, the beaches and the mountains and all things in between. But that day is just one of those days that I'll never forget. I know we Susan uh, had a uniform, still has a Virginia's for lovers uh, uniform. But and she
3: really looked great in that uniform too. Much better than me. Oh. Yeah, I agree. I'm not hundred times. Yeah, yeah, a thousand
2: times. A Thousand times. Thousand times. Yeah. A million. Yeah, yeah especially you,
3: to me. Whatever, whatever number. You no, want. I, I, actually, that picture of Susan in that racing suit yeah. and her elbow up on the hood of the car—it's just one of my very favorite pictures yeah. of Susan, who enjoyed it just as much. And you did a great job promoting Virginia. You know, we kept we put on a special phone number mm-hmm. on that car. So you 425 love. Oh, good. You're, I don't remember. The, you would remember it. You <laughs> yeah. probably said it a thousand it, times it, it, just or so. About every
2: interview I did. Of yeah.
3: course you did. Yeah. That's what's great about NASCAR yeah. drivers. They promote their sponsors. Mm-hmm. They get them all in. And uh, but we would keep to, that phone number. Was just a number that we'd have on your car. That's Right. That's and right. so then you could actually measure. All right. Who who is actually calling in? You can who's figure watching,
2: out who's watching. Who's into the race? Who's, you know, because that's really what makes sponsorships work. You put a name on the car or advertise a business on the car, but that's just the very – what really matters is what kind of return on investment, mm-hmm. what kind of interaction can you get from your fan base or your fans right. or whatever. And I actually went on some trips. People won trips, and I went on tourism trips and things of that nature, had a ball. And, you know, the other thing was beyond knowing who's calling in because they
3: call that number so mm-hmm. they know that caller got this from the NASCAR race, is having that car at events mm-hmm. would oh, just yeah. it just make the whole event just so much more fun. The spirit, you could see in the people and say, oh, that's great, this car's here.
2: The first postcard, hero card, they call it, of me standing beside the Virginia's for Lovers car, the little autograph cards we made, was right here on the boardwalk in Virginia Beach. Huh. We took that picture right here on the boardwalk uh, in the fall of 92 prior to the 93 uh, season. And what an honor for me. I started off representing Virginia tourism. And for the last 22 years, up until early 2020, for 20, uh, 22 years, I had a personal service contract representing the Virginia lottery. So, Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. My and then you drove the I, 13 car I for book, them. Bookend my yeah. career yeah. with, uh, yeah. you know, represent Virginia. But so obviously you governor, you spent time in the Senate and I know you've always been involved in differing degrees in politics, always will, but, Last November's election here in Virginia, uh, you seem to be more involved and more out front, more active, if that's a fair way to say that, as far as on the campaign trail with Glenn Youngkin and Jason Miares and when some Sears, you, in fact, you guys uh, made a stop at the Sadler Truck Stop yep. uh, there in Emporia. So why this year were you, um, I'm not going to say more involved, but you seem to be more energized yeah. On, and during the process, this past November, which was a big one uh, for Virginia, why, why what, uh, what got you back involved to that extent? Well, Susan
3: and I love Virginia, and we were able to do a lot of good things when we had the honor of serving Virginia, and improving our schools, making Virginia more competitive, and I'd always say I wanted the world to know Virginia is open for business, and safe, safe communities, and so many things were going wrong in Virginia. Crime rates were way up. They're releasing cop killers and other murderers. They're dumbing down the academic standards in our schools. You had schools shut down and small businesses being shut down uh, by the government and a governor and government saying that some business is not essential every business is essential it's just such arrogance to say that a business is non essential you know you can say there's some standards you have to apply for, you know apply to your business for for safety but No government should ever shut down a a business. It's essential to the operators and the people who work there. And I also saw Virginia because I give a lot of speeches on competition between the states, and Virginia was losing. We're we're getting our uh, rear end handed to us by Tennessee and North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas. Those states were just booming, and Virginia— You could see in the growth of population is generally stagnant. These other states are all growing in population. And then the loser states, the big loser states like New Jersey and New York and Illinois and California, they're all losing because their taxes are so high. The cost of living is so high. They don't have right to work laws. And Virginia's right to work law was also under, under threat of being repealed. And the first words out of my mouth when I was governor re- trying to recruit a business is that we're the Virginia is the furthest state north on the eastern seaboard with a right to work law. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a right to work law, you're not even on the field of competition to, to lose. You're just not even considered. And if Virginia got rid of its right to work law and some of these other things that are being proposed and have been done in Virginia, we would be irreparably harmed. And, and harming the ability of people in Virginia to reach their potential, to make Virginia as best as it can be. Mm-hmm. And so there was so much at stake in this election because I saw Virginia going over the cliff. And then Glenn Youngkin's a great guy. I really liked him. Uh, we would talk and discuss these issues, especially the economic issues, the education reform issues, making sure people have the skills and the education they need uh, to get good jobs. And employers need good skill. You know, this, sure, good sure. people to work for and also truth and sentencing rather than the lenient, dangerous early release of, of prisoners. And then Jason, that's very personal. Jason actually started his political Involvement in my two thousand U.S. Senate campaign. Oh wow! He was my aide de camp, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually and his wife was uh, wife to be was also working on our campaign. They met in the midst of our campaign in uh, Brookneal or somewhere like that, and, uh, and got hitched when our realtor buying this house was was Paige Biari's Bari's mm-hmm. uh, here. And so Jason's
2: special, mm-hmm. uh, you know. There's a, there's a personal sure. part, and and you Jason may not remember this, but Jason you just. Do. Great. Back in the summer of 2020, we were down in Virginia Beach watching my youngest daughter, Naomi, play softball. Yeah. And we had taken the big orange crush <laughs> to dinner, your golf cart, tricked-out yeah. golf cart, yeah. a Tennessee orange. Yeah, big uh, orange. Big orange had gone to dinner. And on our way back that night, we actually saw Jason out on the street out here, and, and uh, you introduced me to him huh. that night and said, hey, this is Jason Meares, he's running for – attorney general and this and that and the other and of course at that time we had no idea that he would be successful and run the kind of campaign uh they did but well he, i'm so
3: proud of him yeah. you
2: know on the rv tour he wanted me to kind of recreate when when i
3: was he was working for me so this, this time i was the one with the squeegee wiping off the windshields hey, rather right. than him but i said we got to stop by saddler truck stop and which Guess we, we like did tiffany's the, chicken tiffany's chicken is the best fried chicken. I've had anywhere. It is really great. good.
2: But the best hand biscuits I've ever had in my 51 years, I got them tonight. Uh, From Susan. Wife, Susan, she whipped up. Me, but now I asked for the <laughs> recipe to take back to the truck stop and she closed the book on me. <laughs> so apparently it's a high tech, private, some type of a copyrighted big time secret <laughs> thing. So uh, ultimately in November, and I got to see you uh, actually on election night. Angie and I came. Yeah, for Jason's victory party. And so ultimately, uh, on the way we view things, you got Glenn Youngkin, you got Jason Yares, and you've got Winston Sears get elected. And they've been uh, in office not quite a month. And if you read the paper every day, to me, I'm not surprised because they're simply trying to do everything they told the people that voted for them that they were going to do. But as you can imagine, they are getting some pushback from maybe the other side that haven't realized they lost just yet in that regard. And I know they're probably going to be calling on you through the course of not only the first month, but four years uh, on, uh, on, on some of this pushback they're getting. So what kind of advice do you give a Glenn Youngkin or a Jason Meares, especially on what some of the struggles they're going to have to fight through to, to do what they think is right?
3: Yeah, well, Jason served in the legislature, so he's accustomed to it, mm-hmm. and he's a person of great integrity. Uh, and he's not gonna, somebody who's going to abuse the office. And I tell this to to everyone who asks me advice. I said, there's nothing more important in public service or even living than integrity, mm-hmm. and and keep your promises. Don't do anything unethical or wrong. Don't think you're better than anyone else. And what I like about what Governor Yunkin is doing, and Jason and Winsome, is they're keeping their word. Yeah. And he had his day one agenda now the other side may not like it but the owners of the government are not the people in the general assembly or all the state government people it is the people of virginia they're the owners of the government and glenn youngkin and terry mcauliffe ran on their ideas and their philosophy and the way they'd want to lead and there was no doubt when this election was over the winners in it were law enforcement officers Parents in school, those in small business owners who care about the right to work law and less taxes, reasonable regulations, reasonable energy policies. We're paying, unfortunately, unnecessarily higher electricity bills in Virginia. And Glenn Young, Governor Youngkin's trying to get us out of that that pact with the loser northeastern states that is adding money to our our electric bill every month. And those policies, by the way, on energy. The other side will call themselves progressives. Mm -hmm. Their policies are regressive. The people hurt most by having to pay more for groceries, having to pay another $15, $20 every time you fill up with gas these days, paying another $20 a month on their power bills. The people hurt most by that are not the ones who have a private jet to go to some uh, UN climate conference in Cancun or, or Paris. It is hardworking, lower and middle income working families. And so what Governor Yunkin's trying to do is put in standards and academic quality in our schools, accountability, educational choice, trusting parents on this whole mask thing. They're all these folks are just mass dictators and, and vaccine dictators. And, and I'm by the way, I'm for vaccines. I've been vaccinated. I've been boosted. Mm-hmm. I think they work. They make sense. The people who are getting hospitalized, I was with Governor Yunkin and uh, G- General Miares and, and the Secretary of Health and Human Resources this Monday mm-hmm. in southwest Virginia on our way to John Kilgore's funeral in Scott County, and uh, we met with uh, Ballad Health. They have seven hospitals in Virginia, 14 in Tennessee, and 90 Ninety five percent of the people are in in their ICUs and ventilators are unvaccinated. I'm all for it. But what I'm against is dictates. The government should not dictate. You can reason, you can uh, persuade. But to tell people you got to get vaccinated or you lose your job or in the schools, making these kids wear masks. If if some parents you got to have respect for diversity, Mm -hmm. diversity of views. Some parents want their kids to be masked. Fine. Some parents don't want their kids to be masked. So why not have a diversity of views that that some don't want to be masked and some do? And that's just watching a University of Virginia basketball game the other the other night. This first one I've seen because I've been watching teams in Tennessee and Alabama and LSU and Texas. Mm-hmm. They, they have they force you to show vaccine mandate to get into a game. I show you've been vaccinated. You, they force you to wear masks. Then they've stopped selling uh, uh, drink or food so someone doesn't have their mask That's taken band, down. Yeah. And then they showed the band, and all the members of the band have masks on, but there's little slits so they could you know, blow into their horns. But then they have masks on the end of the of the trombones or the trumpets. I'm just thinking this. This is just unbelievable. Yeah. it's too much. too much. Let's have some balance. Let's have yeah. some reason. It's just hysterical uh, approaches. And so I'm, I'm, as you could tell, thrilled yeah. that Virginians are getting liberated. Right. And people can make decisions and choices for themselves mm-hmm. uh, rather than having somebody from the government telling them what
2: you can do all the time. You know, uh, one thing that I've always appreciated with you from that very first day we met at Richmond in 1993— and I've tried not to wear out my welcome, but I knew I bought my first car dealership in nineteen ninety-three. Hmm. It was I bought it from Fred Watkins, Saddler Auto Center of South Hill. It was Watkins Motor Company in South Hill. I had just signed a contract with General Motors on my racing career and they helped me buy a dealership and helped me get my financing straight and did all that. But from my car dealership days to racing days to through the years dealing uh, with with our current family business, convenience stores, truck stops, and restaurants. You've never let me down, and that whenever I had a question or a concern or needed advice or whatever it was, I could always call you, and you would always uh, give me what I – give me an answer, but give it to me in a way that I understood. Just simple matter-of-fact, you know, and and kind of simplify it for me that I could understand – and you do know, because I've leaned on you for advice through this process, um, last June I decided to file a lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Virginia, outgoing Governor Ralph Northam, outgoing Attorney General Mark Herring, because we've had skill games in our locations, for instance, a truck stop in Emporia since the mid-1980s. We've operated them legally, no problem. They've been a real steady revenue stream for us and small businesses all across the Commonwealth of Virginia especially during the pandemic when we faced a lot of other issues cost of goods going up the labor market being what it is cost of labor going way up really been a a a, a godsend to a lot of small businesses well the general assembly passed SB 971 which ultimately said July 1 skill games in all of our, all of our locations are banned and It was spearheaded by casino interest from out of state. They basically didn't want the competition when they moved into Virginia. Now, I'm not interested really in – I've never asked you and you've never spoken on your position on skill games or casinos or whatever. Your your heart and soul and your passion to me has always been about the government being fair. Mm -hmm. So what kind of advice would you give me and others in this fight with me on – a small business like myself and mine having to stand up and take a stand against the government. When you, when we think we're being mistreated, are we, are we fighting a losing battle or, or, or do you know enough about my situation to know kind of what we're doing and how do we get there? So, Tell me live and okay. <laughs> in person to my face what you what your advice would be on all that. All right. Well, first of all, you're not losing; you're winning, in, in, in the
3: court so far. So yes, yes, yeah, so far, and all the way uh, that 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 law mm-hmm. is unfair, uh, and I don't think a, a government. We were talking in the beginning on sports and the meritocracy and everyone playing on a level playing field, mm-hmm. and not no one would ever want to go to a game, and where the officials decide by their bias who wins or who loses. They're supposed to call balls and strikes, whatever. Everyone plays by the same rules, a level playing field. That's the free enterprise system. And you don't have the government picking winners or losers. Mm-hmm. The customers do, the people do. If Who has the best product, the best service, whatever it may be, that win. And if you're losing, then you better improve your product or improve your service or your going to keep losing and be out of business. But that's the free enterprise system. I think it is so wrong for the government, uh, especially for small business, small business, more jobs are created. And I'm for all businesses. I don't care if they're small, medium or gigantic. All of them are good because I look at the best social program of all is a job mm-hmm. where people are taking care of themselves and providing for their families and not dependent on others or especially the government. So small businesses, of course, I'm going to say, keep fighting. Sure. And and you say, yeah, it's just like a David versus Goliath. Most people are rooting for small business. They're, vo- they're, they're rooting for David if they know the facts. Right. And I don't like the idea of a government saying, that we're going to put these folks out of business because some other group wants to have a bigger market share. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to allow gambling, and I'm, I'm not one who would ever gamble, but I'm not going to tell people what to do. I don't eat Twinkies. I'm not going to ban Twinkies. I just hate nanny government. And so people can make those decisions for themselves, whether they want to bet, bet at racetracks, sports betting on their phone, Slot machines, which I think is a complete waste of money. But regardless, people have that choice. It's their money. Let them make those decisions. And you shouldn't have some entity saying, "Well, we want to put these small uh, skill game people out of business because we don't want the competition." From when, it, and in fact, it's just an infinitesimal amount of of competition for a casino. So, and the you know the people in in Bristol and Norfolk and Portsmouth and uh, Danville have put in casinos and that's that's
2: their choice to do it but and and by the way we've my president you know we're as you said the the david versus the goliath we've never have and obviously would never try to take a stand to say we don't i'm not against casinos if that's what they want people want to bring in if they want to bring a rosies to emporia which that referendum was voted on by the citizens of the city of emporia they voted for it great I just say every other But I understand
3: it- that, that they're lending Rosies in to Emporia, yeah, which is right. one thing, but then they want to shut you down. That's right. Th- th- that's not right. Right. Well, th- that's see- correct, but what that is 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 wrong. You should not be favoring uh, say say somebody's got a, a convenience store of oh, Fast Mart, mm-hmm. and and there's a seven eleven. You're going to say, well, you know, Fast Mart's going to have all the exclusive rights to do this, right. and 7-Eleven doesn't, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a country store is competing against 7-Eleven, let them compete. And let them compete on price and service and hours of, of operation. And it just seems so wrong to me. Right. Someone who, who loves the free enterprise system, who loves competition, fair competition, that uh, a government either a state government a federal government or even a local government would would want to take that approach that uh, is harmful to small businesses but unfair in the free enterprise system
2: one of the good things that i got to tell you this process of this lawsuit i've never had anything more burdensome or i feel like i'm carrying the burden of the small business community across the whole commonwealth on my shoulders i live it breathe it not because I don't have anything else to do, because but I'm so passionate about it.
3: You have plenty to do. You're but, a heck of an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, plenty to do. But one of the things You've that people learn a lot want,
3: about the law, too. More
2: than I want, <laughs> and politics. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's finally come out in this process, you know, we won at the circuit court level. The AG appealed to the Supreme Court. Well, when I would talk to people before that process and say, you know, the Rosies and the casinos are trying to get rid of us, people will sometimes say, well, how do you know that they're pulling the strings behind the curtain? Well, when our case got um, appealed to the Supreme Court, Rosie's Colonial Downs and the casino people, they're one of the several that filed amicus briefs in support of the AG. So at least I could finally tell people when they were like, "Hermy, you have no evidence to show you that they're, they're the ones after you where well, they finally had to come out front, come out of the closet, pull the curtain back and stand on the front of the stage and say, now we've publicly signed a, this amicus friend of the court document that we're in favor of the attorney general overturning this injunction because you're impinging on our potential business. And so they, at least they finally had to come out and admit that.
3: Yeah, well, that, that smoked him out. And they've been in the locker room scheming with right. the attorney general's office. And they also have a lot of money. And not only are they big and large and from all over the rest of the the country and so forth. And, and you, Hermie, obviously are a heck of an entrepreneur. But, you know, small regional businesses like yours, you're not the only one in this lawsuit. Not the only one. You're all. representing a lot of other small business owners it, it is uh, – they do they do have a lot of power and a lot of money. <laughs> However, that's not who wins in, again, a level playing field in a true free enterprise system where there's no favoritism in government for one side or the other. And you just say, all right, well, we're going to – if you're going to allow casinos, you can elite slot machines, you know, all, all the sports betting, horse racing, which is fine, and, and lottery and all the rest, to say that skill games – or out there's there's no logic. I could understand if they're saying it is a matter of public policy in the Commonwealth of Virginia. There's going to be no gambling whatsoever. I may not agree with it, but I can understand it. But once you allow some all these different levels of gambling and skill games, horse racing to some extent is skill to you know look at the racing forms and so forth. But the point is, if you're going to allow it, it, it makes absolutely no sense, no logical sense to any reasonable thinking person that well, why do you care about these skill games Mm -hmm. at truck stops? And I understand that they, I forgot what the amount is, but your skill games, every one of these machines puts in a certain amount of money per month. It's like $14,000 per per machine, machine, per year.
2: On the last year that we were taxed and regulated through the ABC, each business owner that operated a skill game paid $1,200 per month per machine towards a COVID-19 a uh, relief fund and hmm. generated in excess of 140 million dollars. Really? Yes, sir.
3: That's amazing.
2: They well, don't that, want that money apparently. But I don't. Wanna, yeah. I want to take. No, you they down want that. They,
3: they want the money. Yeah, yes. You're saying if you owed that amount in taxes, I guarantee you they'd be after you. But well, that's a revenue raiser on top of it all. I'm mm-hmm. just looking at it as a, as just a matter of that's right. equity and, that's really, and that's,
2: fairness. That's that's, that's that's all we're saying. Is, yeah. Come to Emporia and build your building and compete just like all of us do on the same playing field. And that's really all we're uh, all we're trying to get to. Now, I know you're not going to tell me that government has always been that way from way back when you were governor to now. is Has it, it always kind of been how, – how, as a governor, how, a do you, how do you manage? Here's how I'd manage. I,
3: I, I said at the beginning the most important thing is integrity, and that's also being honest and consistent with your own principles and your own philosophy of government. A candidate running for office, you're never, never going to be able to, especially running for governor or U.S. Senate, for that matter, or delegate. You're never going to be able to go through the thousand different bills that will come up. Mm-hmm. But there's issues where you say, you know, I'm for or against something or here's my position on a particular issue. Then, then, But people want to know what your philosophy of government is uh, so they understand how you look at things as in, in that position. And so for me, uh, I would, you know, some issue would come up and i say, all right, well, I've always said this is my view on it. So I would use as a guide Mm -hmm. for myself, you'd apply the facts to your principles. And there'd be times where you'd have countervailing principles sometimes. Those are the times you have to pray to find out, you know, just find to seek wisdom. What's the right thing to do? But for the most part, you apply your principles, and you sleep well at night. And my principle is is really that the concepts that I've been expressing here to you
2: passionately, wh- by the way.
3: Well, well it's yeah. what I believe in my soul. Yeah. And I'll I'll be on my deathbed saying, hey, Virginia's got to have lower taxes, and let's have more productive energy policy or whatever, or they ought to change this around. But at the basic of it, basis of all is that meritocracy where everyone, regardless of their background or their situation or where they're from, has that equal opportunity to compete and succeed on a level playing field. That's the free enterprise system. And the government should make sure you have a field, like a farmer, that is conducive to people planting seeds, which are their businesses or enterprises, and it's fertile for them to grow. And then the people, the owners of the government, the the people who are sovereign, they're the ones who decide how to part with their money that they have earned through their own hard work and and their ingenuity. And so to me, if something came to my desk and I said, this is just not fair, why do you want to discriminate against someone who has done nothing wrong when they're doing something similar to what others you'd say let the people decide who has the best if they want to if they want to spend their money on skill games slot machines horse races craps tables roulette wheels whatever let them do it uh, in Virginia and let it, to me as a Pretty simple principle. Uh, now, you could have folks that can be influenced in a lot of different ways. And I, and I just don't like it when you have anything that is sorted, underhanded, and people not making decisions based on, on the facts before them. And, and trying to make sure that you're being fair
2: to everyone. Yeah, that gives us the best chance. And uh, I appreciate your passion for small business, among other things, because I, my family is a small business owner. I have a lot of friends that are small business owners truly in areas like we live in, Emporia, Greensville County. I got businesses in Suffolk, and Southampton County, Brunswick County. Really, I mean, not just ours, but really the backbone of those types of communities. And this fight that I've been on, this crusade with these games, I'm not going to sit here and say never have that revenue or the revenue that we get off the games is not important because that, it is no, so you, you
3: know, obviously, but really,
2: especially you. And you mentioned it was important in surviving this pandemic. Okay. We fight, face so many issues. My payroll was up probably fifteen percent. All right, because nobody's in the workforce. So I've got a, my people that are working that think the Lord want to work. We're having to pay a lot of overtime, and we don't have people lined up to make applications. So we've got a a new hire for us is now twelve bucks. You know, in in a convenience store, up to fifteen. You know. Two years ago, that was a nine to eleven dollar starting job in cost of goods uh, at our restaurant fo show in the truck stop thirty or forty percent a week of our products are not available and we got substitutes and they're higher and they don't they don't have truck drivers to deliver the food and it's just a multitude of issues they probably put surcharges on you all because of, of the fuel prices. All of it you know, and all our businesses are run on percentages right and i've tried to argue this. With people, not argue, debate is a better word. All my convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants run on a percentage, and by that I mean, I know you understand this, but everybody listening, just so to to see why we're so passionate about these things. So we've learned in a convenience store that if my labor rate gets over fifteen percent of my gross sales, not including gas, but inside sales. If our labor percentage gets over fifteen percent of that number monthly, we're probably going, not going to make money. That's that's the hmm. that's the number for us. And I try to explain to people, you know, everybody's, you know, fifteen dollar minimum wage. That's why you don't have anybody applying for a job at your place is because you're not paying fifteen dollars an hour. I'm like, first of all, we've already blown past all that in this pandemic, and we still don't have people filling out applications. But that's another debate for another time. But I try to tell people if the the government or some other reason forces me to raise my entry-level pay, first of all, I don't know if this person is dependable or not, if they're honest or not, if they can be trained to run a cash register or not, all these things. If i got to pay an entry-level person that amount of money, then what have I got to pay the person that's been there five years that's going to train this person? They've got to have an increased wage. And then a shift manager's got to be up from there. Then a general manager. So now my labor percentage is up twenty three, twenty four mm. percent. So how do I fix that, Governor? I have to raise the, my cost of my goods back to my consumers. All right. And so I guess nobody's really going to pay attention until they start coming into Fo Show and a pizza's forty dollars or a you know a, a, a bag of M and M's is four dollars or whatever the case may be. You, these businesses cannot survive. You have to adjust, and it ultimately comes all the way back to the consumer again. And so it's really frustrating, and I know this is not the case. And I don't mean this for all legislators in Richmond because there are a lot of really good people over there. All of them are probably good and you know have good hearts and trying to accomplish things that that are important to them. But I'm so passionate about Southside Virginia and the places like I live because sometimes I wonder if – the people that are writing these laws or voting on these laws or passing these laws, do they really take just a second to figure out or consider how it's affecting normal everyday working people in my part of the state? Because I'll go back to this lawsuit with the games. The the revenue to me certainly is important, but the reason I did it governor is because there are hundreds of mom and pop operators of convenience stores, restaurants, small sports bars, things of that nature. Some, may only, some of them only have one game sitting on the countertop, but that two or $300 a month revenue off that game can be the difference between staying open or closing. And I just feel like they've kind of shoved this thing down our throat without any real consideration for that family, the mom and pop operator, they got one store. Now, I've got multiple stores, but maybe only one store. And I just don't think it's fair. So that's why I stood up and thankfully um, having a friend like Bill Stanley that he came to Martinsville to the racetrack over the years, a big race fan, and we became friends. And But he and Ryan McDougal were obviously in the chamber when they voted on all these things. They were in the minority, obviously. But to have people and friends like that to stand up with you and say, you know, forget what you may or may not think about that industry, the gaming industry, but what they're doing to small businesses is just not right. And so I don't know where we ultimately end up, but we are, um, we are ruffling some feathers and I think we're getting some things done. And we're so far we've, um, we've we got our games back on uh, for now. And uh, I got a call and I want to move on to some more fun things to talk about. The day after we had our injunction, December 6th, we went to court and the judge gave us a temporary injunction, got our games turned back on. The next day at my office, I had almost 300 phone calls from different small bits and 95% of them, I didn't know, never heard from them, didn't know who, but I got a call from a lady in Manassas, her name was Janet. And I was trying to answer as many calls as I could, couldn't get to them all. I'm still trying to return some of them. I'm writing letters back to people doing all that. But this lady called me, and I just happened to pick up the phone. They were punching them through to my phone all day. And uh lady said, look, I did, you don't know us, but I just want to thank you. I said, yes, ma'am, tell me your story. And her husband was one of the people that was a service technician for these games that would go around and huh. service the games. And, of course, when July 1 hit, he lost his job. And when December 6 hit, he got his job back when we got our injunction. And she said, you know, you know, because we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have the funds or the resources or the platform to fight like you're doing. And she I just want to let you know that because of what y'all are doing, my husband got his job back this week. And because of that, my grandkids are going to have a little bit of something for Christmas this year. And I don't expect it to mean a whole lot to you, but I just want to pass along that story. I said, ma'am, that is the whole reason behind this whole thing is the little people that would not have had the opportunity or the ability to fight like we've done. So those are the stories that have really made me feel good about what we've been trying to accomplish.
3: Well, that's got to make you feel good. That's a great story. And those, those are the stories that those making decisions on trying to get Virginia's law, correct. Mm -hmm. They need to hear it. Uh, And a legislator is not necessarily anybody says they know it all. They don't. Mm -hmm. And the longer you live, the more you realize how little, you know, and how much more you need to learn. And so what they need to do uh, is become informed and, and learn, hear these stories, understand these facts. I think you can be very persuasive. The other side, you know, that's against you has just tons of money and tons of lawyers and lobbyists and all that. But what should matter to the delegates and state senators and anybody making these decisions, just like the judge is he doesn't care who, who paid the highest pay. The judge who make these decisions, they don't care who, how much the lawyers were getting paid. They, they look at the law, look at what, you know, the, the equity, the unfairness, the illegality of what was being done, and made a decision like that. The same should be done by state legislators, and you need to inform inform them, educate them on it. And, and these stories you tell as far as running small businesses and and how tight the margins are that if you get too high it's interesting your perspective on the labor costs i remember listening to uh Steve Smith, Food City. Oh, you now, yeah, they sponsored the, well, the yeah. race in Bristol and did the battle at Bristol, the Tennessee-Virginia the tech grocery team.
2: cart I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, you've seen and it. Great race and track. I
3: remember we were in uh, southwest Virginia, uh, Claypool Hill, I think it was, regardless. And he was talking about the cost of energy. He says our profit margins at our grocery stores are about 2% at best three. So there's not a big, you know, there's not the volume. Yeah, Yeah. you're working on volume, and it's just such a narrow uh, margin. Mm -hmm. He says, if you make my electricity bills go up with all the refrigeration, the freezers, the lighting, all of that, Mm -hmm. and he says there's no way we we cannot pass these costs on to our customers. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, these increases Mm -hmm. in in power bills is just going to make us – force us Mm -hmm. to increase these prices. And the people who pay the prices are the consumers in Southwest Virginia or East Tennessee or wherever, Kentucky, wherever they have their their, uh, grocery stores. And so these are just basic economics. Actually, I would think a middle school kid could understand it. And you would hope that people in government could just understand just these basic common sense, simple facts and say, all right, well, I, I, it's good to understand the underlying aspects yeah. of how this actually keeps your business open, sure. these margins uh, that help. It's also important for them to say, what's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And if you do the right thing in your own mind, and, and I think most people are for fairness as far as competition, level playing field, free enterprise, then they sleep well at night rather than just doing what, I don't know, whatever sort of chicanery might occur.
2: I'll close this subject with what I've said just about every time I've talked about this with a lot of different people all we're really looking for is a fair and equitable tax and regulation program that works for all of us there's enough business out there in mm-hmm. that in that field in that in that in the business of gaming in Virginia that we can all stay in our lane and operate our business and not infringe on each other and all do good business and on top of that, if we can ever get to a good, fair, and equitable resolution, we all need to combine our resources together and come up with some kind of a task force uh, program to, to, to go after the people that are operating games illegally. Hmm. Because in July 1, when the ban went into effect, so our games went dark, but at the same time, what went with it was the oversight from the Department of ABC, who did a tremendous job with the oversight of of our skill games in our stores. So when the games went dark, the oversight went away. And as soon as that oversight went away, that ABC agent going to these convenience stores, not only with a, a wand about the games, but also with the ability to take your ABC license if you don't act the right way, mm. now that's gone. It's created a big vacuum. And now... The illegal people who don't really care, they'll operate in this part of the state until somebody gets one step behind them, then they move to the next. You know, they just move around, and they got backroom places all over Virginia with 15, mm. 20, 25 games in there with no regulation, no convenience store, no food offerings, no full-time employees. They just – and that's another – whole other issue that relates to this is the, the proliferate, proliferation of these illegal games across Virginia – when we went out. So it's it, if done the right way, we can all accomplish what we're trying to accomplish and not work against each other. Like my old buddy D.W., who I told you uh, does the show up for us here on the podcast. You know, D.W. says his one of his favorite words were, you know, you don't have to work with me, but just don't work against me. <laughs> and um, I appreciate DW for that. Okay.
3: Well, I'll be cheering for you to get all this done. and Yeah. As Dale, I, I know you will. And, and so. Whether
2: publicly or privately, I've always no, no,
3: it's, it's been. Just, I'm cheering for you to get it done, yeah. and I hope it gets done. And you, it, it's surprising to me how difficult it's been yeah. for you. But thank goodness that there's someone like you who has the drive, the wherewithal, and the fighting spirit to do what's right. They're trying to wear me down. I know, but I, <laughs> I know they can't wear you down. They, they, you know, you'll keep fighting.
0: Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skip the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands, on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com.
2: All right, let's talk some football. Um, I know that's a... Um, a oh, I got
3: all these posters.
2: Here. You got yeah, your dad and and football stuff, and so these playoff games in the NFL playoffs this year have been some of the best games yeah. that that I have seen. Your your thoughts, um, your thoughts, what you've seen so far uh, in the playoffs? Well, I think
3: that some of them, they, you know, they, gosh, game after game after game. The Chiefs the, and the Bills, really. Uh, that, that was phenomenal. So. How, how much was done in thirteen seconds? Yeah. Uh, with that, but the, all these games and being one on the uh, final play of the game and the Chiefs Beals game was you know, overtime with it and the in the 13 seconds, my father was the first one who had a special teams coach mm-hmm. uh, in the NFL and he thought special teams were really important. First special teams coach, good trivia thing for you was Dick Vermeil mm-hmm. was the first special teams coach for my father. Then Vermeil went to UCLA and the next special teams coach. Second was Marv Levy, mm-hmm. who was once with the Chiefs and obviously the Bills, Bills and yeah. other teams. So you know that the the uh, the, uh, the thirteen seconds again. This is from growing up in a football family and special teams, where the Packers lose because of terrible special teams, missed field goals, blocked field goals, blocked punt is how they lost the game because of poor special teams. Then on the Bills. You think of Marv Levy; he would have, for that final 13 seconds, mm-hmm. squib kick it on the ground. That's going to at least waste six seconds, so they or, or maybe even longer, so there'd only be one play. Mm-hmm. But who would have ever thought, really, in 13 seconds? I'm, I'm watching they could TV,
2: not even knowing the rules. This is probably not even legal. But I'm watching the end of that game, and I'm like, I'm wondering why don't the Bills hold the wide receivers? Like hold him at the line of scrimmage and get a holding penalty. Can they do that two or three times and give up Yeah, but if you if you hold in the line of scrimmage the clock stops as soon as you oh, do yeah,
3: it, the you. penalty.
2: Yeah. Nice idea though. Yeah, I was thinking but about it. Well it'll having, work. Yeah. Okay. Uh so who's gonna win the Super Bowl?
3: I, I think it'll be a good game. I like Joe Burrow, uh Jamar Chase's great I like the offense I know the father the offensive coordinator Callahan with mm-hmm. the, the Cincinnati. I'm, I, I like the Chiefs I was I'm happy Joe Burrow on Cincinnati mm-hmm. has gotten into it. I know a lot of the folks with the Rams uh, Kevin Demoff uh, was with my brother Bruce with Tampa and some of the coaches who were Bruce with uh, Tampa or the Redskins uh, with it I, th- I think it'll be a good game I think the Rams will win though I think their offense. Is, is as good as if uh, Cooper Cup's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the, the the Cincinnati has a much better offense, much better quarterback than the 49ers had, but their defense isn't as good mm-hmm. as the 49ers' defense. So I think the Rams will win probably something like a oh, 26, 22 type. If everyone's going for two and yeah, yeah. missing extra points, but I think the Rams will ultimately prevail. Plus, they, they have the advantage two years in a row of the Super Bowl team playing at home. And that,
2: that is an advantage. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple more questions and I got one Senator Stanley wanted me to ask, which mm-hmm. is not as good, uh, but Tom, <laughs> Tom Brady, um, obviously finally re- announced his retirement. Yeah, yeah. Not sure if you're a Tom Brady fan or not, but what an unbelievable career. So oh, just, tremendous career. Tom Brady.
3: Oh, he's a great career and consistency and, and his dedication, uh, to the craft yeah. and, and everything from his diet to his workouts. And there's just no question about it. They're, they're, it's hard to believe that anybody would ever have the success record that he's had in Super Bowl wins and so forth. So I admire all of that. But understand, my brother was with the Raiders in that game where he fumbled the ball mm-hmm. and they called it a tuck. Wow. And so Brady thought he fumbled. Belichick. Didn't throw a challenge flag out, but the NFL. This is this is the kind of stuff that really grates me.
2: More it's, corruption. Yeah, yeah,
3: it is. Oh, I mean, it's bias. They hated Al Davis and the Raiders, and so the New York folks reversed that call and called that fumble a tuck, mm-hmm. and then they kept the ball, kicked a field goal. I mean, they won the game, but but for that, because it wasn't a challenge and it was not incontrovertible evidence that that was you not a like fumble. You
2: talking about skill games and small teams. I know, I know. Well, you got me going. There's another analogy. <laughs> yeah.
3: So so that's one of the things with Brady that I can't get over. He, they should not have been in the Super Bowl that year because the Raiders had them beat, mm-hmm. but for the bias of the NFL. So when I talk about you don't want referees yeah. deciding the outcome of games or who wins in the free enterprise system, it applies a lot. A lot. It's for the way I
2: look at things. Uh, next quarterback has been in the news, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, what's, where's, what's, will he leave Green Bay? And if so, why? And where do you think he'll I don't, end up?
3: I don't know where he'll go. If he goes anywhere, and I thought he had an outstanding season, they they uh, froze up at Lambeau this year on offense, mm-hmm. but they lost that game because of special teams. But he also did not play well. I mean, the offense mm-hmm. didn't play well. Uh, I don't know where he'll go. But if he goes somewhere, I think he's going to want to do similar to what Peyton Manning did. Where he went to a team and, and won the Super Bowl. Same with Tom Brady, went to a team with good talent mm-hmm. and won a Super Bowl like Peyton Manning did. Uh, so I think you'd he, have to look at where where could he go? What team could he go to uh, that has a chance to get into the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think the Packers have plenty of talent. They just hide the Raiders' former special teams coach, Mm -hmm. Rich Biasaka, Biasaka, Mm -hmm. however you say it. And he's been a longtime special teams coach before he got elevated to uh, head coach with the Raiders this year. So they're going to have a special teams coach. They have a good running back. They have great receivers. Uh, So I'm not sure where he would go. You'd have to look at the league and say, you know Denver. You know Denver did that with Manning. Mm-hmm. If may, may, I don't know. Maybe Tampa will say, "Hey, we have an opening." You know, Coach Arian says, "Hey, would well, you like? You, you, you wanna yeah, you want to come in here because they got they have a heck of a team, a g- great team with Tampa." So maybe maybe he'd go there. The the other funny thing, by the way, in the competition when Brady was deciding, it was between the Chargers and Tampa where he was going to go. Florida has zero income taxes California taxes are 13.3 percent the worst the highest in the whole country mm-hmm. so you, know, you take his his salary 13.3 percent out of you know 40 million dollars that's real money yeah. and so he made a good economic decision on top to go, yeah. go to Florida
2: three years ago Virginia had about a 17 Cent a gallon advantage over North Carolina on te- fuel tax and now we've now it's, we've raised it for the last three years now we're even you them, know so. that's
3: interesting. Uh, our, our, we drive to South Carolina right often, mm-hmm. so I'd always fill up before you leave Virginia. That's right. At your well, place, well, and
2: then drive to South Carolina. Exactly, drive yeah. all the way through, North, through Carol- North Carolina.
3: Yeah, and get to yeah. Dillon to yeah. the to, to Pilot or Flying J yeah. or a Murphy Express mm-hmm. or whatever in Dillon or Manning or Florence, mm-hmm. and fill up. And and I was looking at it because I Susan always says I was gas, gas buddy before gas buddy right. was around. And I have a Flying J pilot rewards card mm-hmm. to get three cents a gallon off every yeah. every uh card, every yeah. every fill up. But the um it, I have noticed that I said there's really not that much we difference ra- between it, here. That's really why flat,
2: yeah, it's flat now. We gave up the, all the advantage we had. One more quarterback, all right, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Would he, he, were you ever a fan of his, watch him much, care much about the Steelers? Because he no, retired I, the, I Mostly, yeah. So
3: he's a great quarterback for that
2: team. I admire the Steelers fans.
3: They have great fans. The, the teams, that you know, the franchises have fans all over the place are, uh-huh. are the Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, Green Bay Packers, those teams just seem to have fans obviously the Broncos out out west the Raiders have fans all over the place too but they the, the Steelers fans are just more noticeable with the, with the yellow mm-hmm. with it so he he's had a he's had an outstanding career the the quarterbacks that I, I grew up liking Archie Manning so Archie yeah. was my hero so at those days I liked old Miss and these days I you know the, the big thing in quarterbacks is where will the Manning, youngster
2: who's still in high school where is he going to go to college yeah he's I don't know how you look at a kid that young and look at him five years in the future and see what kind of player he'll be but he's getting a lot
3: well the quarterback who I find the most it's it's just amazement to watch is Mahomes yeah and and I remember seeing him at Texas Tech and that entry I wonder he can make it and uh, Andy Reid did see something in him and traded up.
2: He's unbelievably and, accurate to move around as much as he oh, does. Oh, and
3: yeah. the way he's th- throwing the balls Sout and, arm and you know. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Alex Smith was a quarterback who I really admired. Broke his leg, and ever since he broke his leg, the Redskins they were six and two. <laughs> and he broke yeah. his leg, and I think since then they've yeah you know, had a, a losing record. But he did a. He was. I admire his character in helping Mahomes mm-hmm. in his in his first year. And I saw the, the thing on on Brady, on on this whole Tuck rule, and he admired uh, Bledsoe. That Bledsoe got injured. Bledsoe? That's when yeah. when when he got injured, but still was a good team player.
2: Now this question came from Senator Stanley. Who I think it's a real dud, but he wanted me to ask you <laughs> your thoughts on the new name for the Washington football team, the Commanders.
3: That is a dud question. All you right, can go ahead and tell him
2: he'll he'll be hearing this. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, Bill. That was a dud. You want to talk about the rumple strips on the side of the highway that you and Bill used to have a? Conversation? Now we
3: both agree with that. I
2: just hated. Running. Well, you
3: know, this is yeah. a driver. You're taking away some of the track yeah. by putting those those things on the road. Now the uh, well, they were the WTF or whatever they were called. I called them the Wokesters, yeah. and uh, I said and now they're WC. Mm-hmm. And in most, if you if you look on blueprints and in the English speaking world, WC means water closet. Mm-hmm. So now I call them the woke commodes. Lord, uh, so, so you know, they could call themselves the uh, commanders. I could, By the way, the Redskins name. Did, uh, you want me to get going on the Redskins name? Please. All right. For American Indians in all polling, about 90 percent of them, this is even, even the Washington Post who hated the Redskins name. Ninety percent of American Indians looked at it as a tribute, as an honor, not a derogatory. But there's a few who... Don't like it, and we're very loud. The logo, the Redskins logo. When my father came to the Redskins, the logo was an R. That was from Lombardi was there. He made it like the G in the Green Bay helmet. And my father, ever since he was with the Bears, was helping out the Pine Ridge Indians uh, reservation in in South Dakota. And so we grew up understanding how in, in Indian country, not only have they been treated poorly in our country, But they also were very impoverished, had a lot of health problems, so he had the Red Cloud Athletic Fund, got Montgomery Wards to donate mats and athletic equipment to um, Indian tribes, but the main focus was this Pine Ridge uh, reservation. So my father had good relationships with many American Indians, and uh, a fellow Chief uh, Wetzel from the Blackfeet tribe, who was also president of the National Congress of American Indians, came to see my father and said, we don't like this R on the Redskins helmet. We'd like something better. So my father said, we'll make a suggestion. He went back to Montana, which is where the Blackfeet Nation is, counseled with his tribe, other tribes, and the image was actually an image of a Blackfeet uh, chief. So this this logo that they you know put across through like no parking mm-hmm. was actually a logo that was designed and recommended by american indians a chief and, and in fact president of the national congress of american indians and so and, and in fact they say oh it's so derogatory well the largest indian tribe in the united states are the navajo by far the, the biggest there's a lot of cherokee and others but navajo is the biggest they have a, a high they have two high schools on their lands one is red mesa the name of their team the Redskins. Mm-hmm. And their logo is that old Redskins logo. Now they have turquoise as a circle around it rather than uh, the colors of the red, old Redskins one. So uh, an owner of a team can name the team whatever it wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand the wokeness and the political correctness and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'll just call them that. the woke commodes.
2: The woke commodes. That's what I'll call them. All right. And I still like Great the Redskins. I, I,
3: I like the Redskins. <laughs> But this is now an expansion franchise.
2: I got you. Um, we're running out of time, but I, I, I can't leave without talking a little bit of racing. All right, That's really what brought us together in the yeah. first place. I met yes. you all those years ago. So did you have a chance to catch this past weekend the clash at the L.A. Coliseum?
3: I thought it was great. Yes, I sure did. Because when my father coached the Rams, uh, that's where they played at the mm-hmm. Coliseum. And uh, and uh, Susan and I and Brooke were at the battle at Bristol when—
2: Football game. Yeah, at football Bristol, game
3: yeah. where the Tennessee Vols mm-hmm. played the Virginia Tech I not but that had to
2: be quite an atmosphere. Oh, it's
3: one of the greatest events I've ever been at in my entire life, 155,990. Mm-hmm. 155, by far the biggest crowd mm. to ever see any football game. It was Pilot Flying J oh, yeah. sponsored it, yeah. and the sub sponsor was Food City. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, oh, this is the reverse of Bristol. Or yeah. they put a football field in a racetrack uh, and they call Bristol the Coliseum. Coliseum. You know, and so they the said, oh, here. Coliseum. Yeah. yeah and so there's the LA Coliseum doesn't hold as many as the one in Bristol, in mm-hmm. Bluff City, yeah. Tennessee. But the. Um, I thought it was great. Of course, I was saying where are they going to put the pits? Because yeah. you know you pit That's on sad. <laughs> yeah 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 because you know even at Bristol you have to have uh, uh, pits on both sides. You just don't have a, a, a on one side, mm-hmm. and so they but they had the heats, so you didn't have to fill up for gas or mm-hmm. do the tire changing and so forth. That for format, I'm not sure how great that is, but I think just the. I think it was brilliant marketing. Mm-hmm. A, there was no football. On, or there's a Pro Bowl, which is yeah. a farce. I mean, yeah. it's it's touch. A tag. Yeah. yeah, it was exactly. It was yeah. touch
2: football. It was just. it was. I went by the channel one time, and I saw somebody throw a ball. A guy caught it, and the guy went up, tagged him on the shoulder. And they and blew, blew the, the whistle. whistle. Yeah, yeah. yeah
3: exactly. I You're just, kept, just like I me, Herbie. Yeah. yeah,
2: I just said, oh, I'll watch the heats of the NASCAR race yeah. or whatever you know, else. The one thing I thought, well, I was impressed with the the run of the show as far as during the heat races and the last chance qualifier was how quickly they moved the show along. When you're moving one race off the track, another race on the track, and everybody's coming from outside, and I was impressed how quickly they went from one race to the next. Oh, that's interesting. You're
3: thinking of those logistics. Well, they have the one part where... This, uh, who I've never heard, I've heard of him, but never paid any attention, is Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. I said, all right, this is not Martinsville. This is not Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, when I was thinking of Bristol, where they have Lee Greenwood singing, gonna, yeah, yeah. He singing God Bless the USA, and Rocky Top being played, mm-hmm. and Born to be Wild, mm-hmm. and all that. And so he's singing whatever he's singing. But that's, that's L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just think the Coliseum has, the L.A. Coliseum has so much history. To it and it's and it was it was a perfect weekend to do it uh, where there really wasn't much else on Mm -hmm. that was compelling and I and hopefully that'll get some more fans out of it. That's that's their goal. Sure, is to try
2: to get some new audience. Yeah, we've missed a a generation of fans somewhere. We've got to try to get them back. It also will probably open up the possibility of doing things like that in the future, whether it be for the All Star race or the clash next year, because now they've shown you can put a race on just about anywhere you decide you want to put yeah, a race on. Yeah, and the question, and you know this from the media side, is how
3: does it – obviously there's a major cost right. to be putting that – and the, the dog's going nutty about it. Got a house
2: full of people. Yeah, you
3: got yeah. a house full of people. Must be some invader. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the there's a cost of putting that track down, just like to put that football field in Bristol and mm. and all the cables yeah. – for the scoreboard mm. and all of that, I mean that's very very costly. So the question is is how much is the cost of that? Now fans, you know, fans in the seats matter a great deal. That that matters, but if TV likes it and the, your TV sponsorship says this is great. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to sure. motivate it. And uh, it's well, just people like are talking. You know, people week. are talking about it. It's yeah. just like hockey did these outdoor games and they're playing at Wrigley Field or Fenway Park or, you know, some you know, baseball stadium uh, or <laughs> they were right on the side of, of uh, Lake Tahoe, but it got too warm. So <laughs> ice was melting. It was yeah. a beautiful view of Lake yeah. Tahoe and the mountains, but it was <laughs> it was hot. So the ice was melting. So those kind of things. In fact, NASCAR, I think that'll help. And NASCAR last year went to more road races. That's right. And road races are not necessarily great for the fans – to on side. see yeah. on, on side. That's right. but on TV, it makes it a it's much new, more interesting track. And I know yeah. everyone's you know, leaning right, turning left, or whatever, whatever. It's the name of our podcast, Yeah, governor. right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, those you actually have to yeah, lean that's right. both ways, yeah. which is kind of what we've done in this podcast. That's, right. so we've,
2: that's been great.
3: We've been all over the place. All over the place. But it always stays straight to get through the checkered flag.
2: There you go. First one to get to the flag. Governor, yeah. um, first of all, I've said it before, but I want to thank you, from my family personally you've always been a, a great uh friend uh supporter of my family and Southside virginia and small business and you've always been a supporter of nascar racing and appreciated the economic benefits of what nascar and yeah. our racetracks have brought to the commonwealth i mean i j- couldn't couldn't ask for a better better friend and mentor you've always been special in that regard and it's uh, been a tremendous honor for me to to be here with you tonight and um I hope it wasn't. Hope it wasn't too tough on you. I, I gave you some softballs along with some of the curves I threw. Yeah,
3: we're talking about football, NASCAR, yeah. and and economic development. That's right up your and wheelhouse. Small business. Yeah, I live and breathe that, Hermy. Yeah. This was a breeze. And uh, yeah. and by the way, you talk about Martinsville. I mean, the economic impact uh, of that race for Martinsville Huge. is fantastic. Sure. And Bristol, I you know we're talking about Food City, mm-hmm. the amount of ice and beer they sell in yeah. <laughs> Food City yeah. when they have the races in Bristol. It works the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's I, I love NASCAR fans. They're yep. great folks, and so are you. And yep. one of the reasons I like you and, and and admire you so much is your integrity, your your character, and and your personality. And you're someone who tries that. to do what's right by yourself and help others and the stories you've related here, those that's what makes life worthwhile is what have you done not for yourself, but to improve the lives of others. others. Yes, and right. and but they're based on kind of eternal or basic foundational principles mm-hmm. is is just fairness. Everyone treated the same. Let people decide who has the best product. You know, there's a free enterprise system. And in fact even freedom of religions that way. You don't you don't The Thomas Jefferson Statute of Religious Freedom was uh, no one's to be conferred any added benefits or anything or their rights diminished or enhanced on account of their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's religious freedom. Everyone, regardless of their, their gender or their background, has freedom of expression. Everyone has the right to own property. That's the basis of the free enterprise system. And again, the rule of law is the fair adjudication of disputes and our God-given rights being protected. That's all you're asking for, and that's what anybody's asking for generally and expect out of a government. Good schools, safe communities, and a level playing field for businesses to compete and don't do things to harm small business because they're the ones struggling the most that the cost of regulations are much higher on small businesses and big businesses because they don't have the economies of scale to comply with some of those regulations. So keep sure, make sure your regulations are reasonable and achieving the purpose in the least burdensome way possible.
2: That's perfectly said. Nothing I can add to that. Thank you again, Governor, for your time. This has been a special edition for me of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator uh, on location in Virginia Beach. Thank you again so much. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next week.